Tommy's here. I'm here. We'll get started here in a moment. But first, in a world of uncertainty, one thing's for sure. Cancer doesn't stop during a global crisis. On Saturday, June 13th, this coming Saturday, the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society will host a trailblazing event, Big Virtual Climb, sponsored by AbbVie, to support their investment in groundbreaking research to advance blood cancer cures and its first-in-class patient education and services, including financial support and clinical trial navigation. Step up to take cancer down by climbing 61 floors or 1,762 steps inside or outside on stairs, on the road, or your treadmill. Climb your way. Join us for an opening ceremony and then take on your climb with our heart-pumping playlist. Join us June 13th from coast to coast as we come together to climb, conquer, and cure. Register at lls.org slash big climb you want it you need it it's what everyone's talking about the kevin sheehan show now here's kevin you're listening to the sports fix that's right sports fix tuesday tommy by phone i'm here in studio and uh sorry about yesterday um but we're good to go the rest of the week uh tommy uh there aren't a lot of sports stories we didn't get to weigh in together on the Drew Brees apology, on some of the stuff that came out afterwards over the weekend, Roger Goodell's statement, et cetera. So we'll get to that. Um, But you've got some things that you want to get to. I know that you're a little bit fired up today about a lot of different things. So what do you want to start with first? I'm not particularly fired up. Mm -hmm. More like, and I'm just giving you a Surgeon General's warning here, more like just depressed about about the, the state of the world. And I usually am not affected by this because, uh, you know, being 66 years old, I've lived and seen a lot of times where everyone thought it was the end of the world and everyone survived. But these are strange, strange times. Let's start off with a subject that our listeners, at least, thanks to me, are familiar with, <laughs> the incel movement. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Basically, those those poor guys that couldn't get laid when they were younger, or even now, and are upset about it. And they're upset. The latest news is out of Abington, Virginia. Oh boy. uh, A Southwest Virginia man. But was that insensitive? Was that insensitive? When you said Abington, West Virginia, and I said, "Oh boy." No, I said Abington, Virginia. Oh, Virginia. I thought you said West Virginia. No, okay, go ahead. So this, wrong. this you weren't st- insensitive. The story's coming out of Abington, Virginia. Go yeah, ahead, continue. Virginia, a Virginia man blew, who blew off his hand in an apparent explosive exercise has been charged in federal court after authorities said they found evidence he was making a bomb and wanted to target hot cheerleaders because of his sexual frustrations. <laughs> oh my God. This guy blew off uh, one hand blown off and fingers blown off the second hand. And he was trying to make a bomb to attack hot cheerleaders uh, and make a mark in the incel movement. Well, And incel, uh, it stands for involuntary celibacy, will, which means you're not getting laid. Will, will this deter future efforts on his behalf, or will he go to jail for this? Oh, I think I don't know. I think he's probably going to go to jail for this. Shouldn't the blowing off of a portion of his hand be a deterrent by itself? You would think so. You would think so. But uh, I think I think this man's going to serve time because of the evidence they found uh, that who he was targeting with this. I mean, he wasn't he wasn't trying to blow his own hand off. You know, if that were to be the case, then yeah. I would say the man has suffered enough. Well, I'll tell you what, Tommy. Blow up somebody else. Given the fact that he's not really able to attract anybody, he needs that hand. Certainly, one of them. (laughs) Um, So maybe he'll get some sympathy now. I have some out there in the field. I have some some positive, uh, uplifting, encouraging news for you. Well, that's good because I've got something that's going to follow this. That's absolutely going to depress everybody. So go ahead. Well, I just, you know, the COVID-19, remember that? Do you remember COVID-19? Oh, yes, I do. Yes, I do. So some news came out yesterday 
about asymptomatic spread of coronavirus being very rare. That came from the World Health Organization, which I don't even know if we can even trust anymore. But very rare asymptomatic spread. And to to cut to the chase on this thing, basically what they've learned is that someone who is asymptomatic, and remember there are many, many, many asymptomatic cases, the infection rate as we started to test more found many more people had been exposed to the virus but didn't have any symptoms of the virus. And those particular people were the ones that everybody was super concerned about Tommy because you wouldn't be able to notice someone who was asymptomatic and here they were out in public spreading the disease to everybody well in fact people who are asymptomatic the spread the ability for them to spread the disease is very rare this makes sense to me because the one thing there are two things that that make sense one which is the what the World Health Organization said yesterday and something that came before it I um I, I was reading a few weeks ago, maybe a month ago now, could have been longer than a month ago, about really the people who have gotten seriously ill from COVID-19 are the people that have basically, for the lack of a better description, taken in a large viral load. If you take in just a droplet off a surface, you're not going to get seriously sick. If you're in an elevator with somebody who's coughing and sneezing and they're they're essentially spraying the virus, you know, onto your person, which gets into your eyes and maybe your mouth and your nose and your ears, whatever, then you've got a much better chance of being seriously ill. What I'm saying is if if you know a normal, healthy, younger person were coughed on much better chance of being seriously infected than if they, you know, came across a doorknob and picked up, you know, a droplet of the virus, which by the way, to me always made sense, you know, because these very densely populated areas where you had many people in small confined spaces is where we were seeing a lot of the death and a lot of the serious illness, especially in New York, as an example. So, The World Health Organization comes out yesterday and says they're not so concerned about asymptomatic spread anymore. It's very rare. Well, doesn't that make sense? Somebody who's asymptomatic isn't coughing. They're not sneezing. You know, they're not spreading big viral loads of the virus. You know, they may spread on a surface a droplet of it, but they're not really, you know, the concern anymore. So I wanted to share that good news with you. I thought that was very good news because, and by the way, all of this stuff will in, in, in fact impact sports as we learn more about this in terms of how these sports get rolled out. I've mentioned to you before, the NFL's in that you know good position as they've been from the beginning to be able to sit back and watch Major League Baseball, the NHL, the NBA, maybe Major League Baseball, be the guinea pigs in this thing. Well, understanding that <clears throat> people who are asymptomatic and maybe um, and can't spread it um, means that people who are asymptomatic who test positive are going to be able to play, perhaps. And so, okay, okay, Doctor Sheehan, that is good news. But explain this to me. Yeah, this latest report: Uh, Israel are closing their schools after opening them. A new policy orders any school where cases emerge to close. Apparently, 200 students and staff have tested positive for COVID-19 at 42 schools since the schools opened. So now. 42 schools have been closed down. 7,000 students and teachers are home in quarantine. Why is that? How many of those people are seriously ill? Well, they're students. They're kids. They're the ones who you say are not susceptible. Right. How many of them are seriously ill? Were there? Se- I don't know were- how many are seriously ill. Well, I doubt. I, I, I doubt. I don't. I don't know. I can't answer the question. Ill. I, I can't answer the question. I. I, I don't know why. So, I mean, home. this this is a very disturbing development. If they're opening the schools and then closing them again, right? Any kind of closed uh, area where you're going to have people collectively together on a regular basis would seem to be in danger. Yes, 
But m- perhaps the information yesterday from the World Health Organization says, which by the way is common sense pre-coronavirus, if you're feeling sick and you've got symptoms, go home. Okay. You know, I agree with you. Look, I, I agree with you. I, I have no idea what's going on with the virus anymore. I just stay up here in, in my new uh, Frederick Fortress of Solitude and don't bother anyone. I think that, Tommy, that the, um, and I think we've talked about this a lot, but we'll just talk about it again. I think that these leagues, they have to have a plan for um, the few players that test positive. You can't go into a, an NBA restart uh, thinking that you're going to shut it down if you have a Rudy Gobert incident. That, that That's clearly, <clears throat> that's been completely dismissed as a reason that they would shut the league down if they're going to restart it because I think we all understand that players are going to test positive. The issue is what happens in the event of a large outbreak or serious illness. How do they handle that? And no one really has explained in any of these leagues that are contemplating restarting the NBA for sure, the NHL almost for sure, and Major League Baseball maybe. No one's explained what the protocol, what the procedures are for a large outbreak. It's essentially we'll deal with it when we get to that situation, which isn't the worst of ways to go with it because... By the time you get to a large outbreak, if and when it happens, you're going to have so much more information. They're going to have to deal and, with and, it when they get to it. And, you know, it may be beyond their control as to what they, what, how they can deal with right, it. Right, because of the states. Because, because they can't know, because they can't control what players think. And what happens on an NBA team if two guys test positive and they're not sick and you can tell them, you know they're asymptomatic, but they test positive, and the other players say, "Well, I'm not, I'm not playing with these. I'm not going out there anymore. I, I'm, I, I, I'm going home and be quarantined." What they can't control is the players' fears. I think that the players' fears are a bigger issue in your mind than they are in my mind. With with that said, if someone gets seriously ill. That's when the fear will uh, become, you know, front and center. That's when players will say, "I may be negative now, but I'm not playing in a game because he played with that guy a week ago," and uh, th- that could be an issue. And and really, when I say how a league handles a large outbreak, it's really how a league will handle a a large outbreak of positive tests, or b even a very small number, even one number of someone who gets seriously ill or worse. They, they, they don't have a plan for that right now, and that's going to be a figure-it-out-as-they-go situation. There's Going into the restart of these leagues and potentially to the start of a Major League Baseball shortened season, there is definitely a possibility that these seasons will not be finished. And the possibility... Yeah, I think but, so. I, I think it's... I think it's stronger than you do, but I I agree with you. But the possibility for me of a season being suspended uh, and then then finally completely shut down has to be serious illness, not positive tests. Because you're going to have positive tests. That's a given. I agree. So Here's something else I wanted to talk to you about. Please. Related to somewhat related to uh, the coronavirus. We're at 109,000 deaths in the United States. The death rate has slowed down Very much dramatically. So. Yes. Yes, uh, it has. And again, this is not the virus season. You know, so that that's certainly understandable. Well, there's been but, some there's uh, been some uh, things out there about how actually it's mutated and become less uh, less threatening. Okay. I've read some of that as well, but I, I, who knows? Go ahead. Okay. So my point is, uh, uh, a friend of ours, uh, closer to my wife than me, out in Washington State, uh, died yesterday. Uh, she she died with dignity under Washington State law. Did you know that you can you can take your own life? In Washington State? I didn't know that. 
it would be one of the states I would guess that you could do it in, but I didn't know that. I didn't know that either, but they have a death with dignity law where uh, if you are, according to doctors, have six months or less to live, you can decide to die. And how, how is that process handled? Uh, through, through a pill, through basically medication given by professionals that, you know, that, you know, basically slows down your heart rate and shuts down everything. And that's what this person did yesterday. I mean, you're not bringing I, this up I, because you're considering moving to Washington, are you? No, no. <laughs> but but I mean, I, I had no idea. Look, I think that people should be able in situations like that to end their own life. Now, that said, it's, it's easy for me to say I'm not the one who's dying. I don't know if I would have the courage to do that. Oh, my God. No. I mean, I, I, but again, you're not in pain right now. You're not suffering. Right, that's what I... I know I'm not suffering. I, I can I can't imagine what it would be like. But I mean, it that that takes. I was just blown away by. I, I guess you know. I mean, like you said, with the pain involved, you don't know what your attitude would be. But uh, still, I think it takes tremendous courage to do that. Yes, I mean, that, I, that, I, I, mean <laughs> I, I think it does take a tremendous courage. Um, but you yeah. know, in many cases, it it might it might be very obvious to the person in that situation that it's better than what they're living. Why why did you bring this up? So well, depressing. Because, well, I told you I had a lot of bad stuff to bring up today. <laughs> okay, is it called the Die with Dignity Law? Death, death, death with dignity. Death with law. dignity. Yeah, I was unfamiliar yeah. with that. So was I. Uh, just something to keep in mind if, uh, you know, if things get too bad. Yeah. I mean, because right now things out there are pretty, we were talking about this before the, the, uh, podcast. I don't know where I fit in anymore. Well, let me, uh, let, let's go there. Let me, let me ask you, um, a question. Let me see if I can sort of phrase this the right way. We've seen in, in the last week, um, in your field, not mine, journalism, a lot of shit go down. A lot of stuff that's happened here over the last two, uh, week to two weeks. I think it's honestly, and I, I hate to be the one that speaks in hyperbole because I've always, outside of sports, I've always you know, asked those in my life, you know, be careful. You know, this happened back in this year and this happened then. You know, we have had moments in our lives or in our history that were much more threatening or much more, um, you know, tumultuous, etc. But th- th- these last three and a half to four months have been truly, um, you Pretty know, bad. it moves to the it moves very much into the top two or three. Yes, uh, yes, it of does. tumultuous times in, in our lifetime. But in your specific field, you know, you've had that New York Times um, opinion uh, head had to resign. Um, there have been others. James Bennett. The New York Times. James Bennett. James Bennett. Yeah. Had to re- resign over running the Tom Cotton op-ed piece. Right. So. And the Philly Inquirer, the editor of the Inquirer, uh, a guy by the name of Stan Witsnowski, who was editor of the paper for like 10 years, took them through some very difficult times, uh, and won a Pulitzer Prize there for, for public service, had to, had to basically resign from the paper because of a stupid headline, and it was a stupid headline, that said, Buildings Matter. So uh, my question to you is, are we in the midst of a journalistic, philosophical shift of sort of letting um, the mob quell free speech to a certain degree. Is this where we're headed? It looks like we're heading that way, and it makes me sick. It may, it, I mean, I don't even recognize this business anymore. Uh, what you're seeing is the college campus from 10, 12 years ago now in the workplace, and in this case, in newsrooms. That college campus where anything, any kind of speech that offended them, they didn't want on campus. You know, they wanted safe zones where you couldn't put up any signs or even have any thoughts that were different than what they felt was appropriate. Now those people are in jobs. 
and they're in shops and newsrooms. And what happened at the New York Times, where uh, the editor there, the uh, op-ed editor, James Bennett, had to resign for running uh, this Tom, Senator Tom Cotton piece right. about how the president should have used uh, military force against the uh, protesters and rioters. Uh, you know, that, that upset a lot of people. Look, I, Tom Cotton, to me, is, is, is you know, he, he, should, he shouldn't be a senator, but he, I didn't, he's not from my state. I mean, his, his views are abhorrent to me, you know. But he was a U.S. senator writing about something that other people in the country probably believe should have happened, however abhorrent it may be. And it's happened before. Presidents have used military truth against people in the streets. They, uh, uh, you know, George Bush did it in 92, I think, with the Rodney King yes, uh, riot. Yeah. Okay, so, so, I mean, so while abhorrent, it was, it was on the op-ed page, opposite uh, opinions. You know, that, that, that's the purpose of the page. And the New York Times, the New York Times reporters, particularly the uh, black reporters, were, I mean, just basically threatened the, the management of the paper if they didn't do something about it. So this guy had to resign. And this is what the editor, this is, is one of the most chilling things I've ever heard a newspaper editor say. The editor of the New York Times said he told his staff, anyone who sees any piece of opinion journalism, headlines, social posts, photos, you name it, that gives you the slightest pause Please call or text me wow. immediately. That is horrific. That means you're going to have reporters ratting on other reporters if they're particularly right. offended by, by, by something that they see the reporter write in, in, in a story or something like that. I mean, look, I come from, a, I come from an age where, you know, if you, if you dare to question the editors, they basically screamed you back to your death. Now, that doesn't happen anymore, apparently. But if I'm an editor now at a newspaper, I'm scared to death to edit any piece of copy that any reporter has for fear I'm going to lose my job because I didn't edit it according to what the mob wanted. And this is ridiculous. I'm so, I am so glad I'm at the end of this business than the beginning right now. Because it's not something I'd want to be part of. How many? I mean, it, 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 this, this, is, this is advocacy journalism, and it, it, it's been it's been happening for a while. It's been creeping in for a while, uh, and 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 now it's it's in the mainstream. It's in the New York Times and the Wall Street uh, and and the Philadelphia Inquirer. How many of your friends in your business um, have you talked to about this? I mean, you're calling them every day anyway, old friends, and a lot of those friends are journalists. Do they all agree with you? Well, you know, it's funny because, again, this is the generation that was in college 10 years ago. So it's a generational thing. People that I've been in the business with, for the most part, are offended by what they're seeing, are offended by the, the way the things are going, and... Uh, you know, the, these, these positions that are undoing these editors. Younger reporters in their 20s think, well, this is fine. You know, this, this was, this was a, a viewpoint that put people at risk, you know, uh, and uh, it, it should have never ran and people should lose their jobs because that kind of speech isn't allowed. So it's a generational thing within the you put, People are saying you put people at risk? Yeah. I mean, but the, the black look, the, the black New York Times reporter said an article saying the use of military force against demonstrators put put young black people at risk. That's what they're saying. I don't know. To me, um, an op-ed column, you know, physically uh, putting someone at risk to me it seems crazy. You know, I, I asked you the question. I, because, I agree uh, with you, Kevin. I agree. And, and the New York Times has published far worse op-ed pieces. Yeah. Far more inflammatory <laughs> right. op-ed pieces. Like, like, like from the Taliban. Yes. 
among others. Um, yes. Twitter right now and social media is an insane asylum. And I don't think normal people, um, normal subject, subjective, I understand that. I think most normal people that I've had conversations with, you know, about everything that's going on, um, you know, aren't in agreement with the social media mob, aren't in agreement with those in journalism that are pushing back against free speech, aren't in total agreement on all of the issues about what everybody's protesting about. Um, the big things, to go back to the conversation of two weeks ago, the big things I think everybody normal seems to agree on, which is, you know, going back to the incident that sparked this particular uh, two-week run, the, the George Floyd incident was murder, and everybody wants the police officers involved to pay a full price. Nobody wants systemic racism in law enforcement or in society. Uh, people want that rooted out and kept out. Um, the big things people tend to agree with, but it has gotten to the point where if you don't believe in what right now the the loudest voices in our society which are voices in particular Tommy on social media because they're instantaneous they're live it's a it's it's a running live stream um and you as much as respond to a tweet that gets misinterpreted you can get fired you can lose your job in this environment that's insane that is completely really is. insane. And I, I'm, I'm, I, went through, I, I went through this last week. I went through this last week. What do you mean? Uh, now, now, the point is, and I, I got to say, there's a little bit of security about this. I don't particularly give a shit because I can't, I, I mean, I don't give a shit if I get fired. Right. You know, I don't particularly care. Well, you're all, there's a little bit of a, where could you, you're not, where could you get fired that. from? You could get. That's true. I mean, the newspaper that you work for, are they're not quelling free speech right now, are they? No. Yeah. Well, I no. My, my point. My point is, I agree with everything you said. I mean, there was a poll that came out from NPR and and uh, Marist College last week that said fifty five percent of Americans polled thought the police handled the the riots and protesters just fine. Now you wouldn't know that if you if you followed social media. No chance. Bottom line, Tommy, in, in your in your business, my God, if you are so emotionally unstable as to have a major problem with somebody who disagrees with your view, then the way it used to be is journalism's the wrong field for you. Go into something else. Because there are more arguments in our environment, your environment, and if you're offended by somebody's position, so be it. Kevin, this is what we've seen happen in college campuses for the past 10 to 12 years, at least or longer. It wasn't that way in the 60s? No, no, it wasn't like that then. It wasn't like that. Well, I, I don't know because I wasn't usually paying attention most of the time <laughs> on the college campuses. To, to these kind of things, but uh, I mean, and, what, and they've all graduated now. And the idea of safe zone, safetyism, that uh, one one person described it, mm -hmm. is right now in vogue. Did you? I mean, I've seen so much. I'm trying to consume as much from all sides. And by the way, the fact that we have to say all sides, most of the sides are the sides that that want the New York Times op-ed. Um, uh, editor to resign. Um, that is most of our media. Um, but what really bothers me is what I'm seeing from our leaders. Forget what I'm seeing from uh, our media. I mean, we've already, you and I have already described our, our distaste for the president. Um, this is regardless of your politics, regardless of, of policy agreement or disagreement. This is this is a person that's very limited uh, intellectually and otherwise and has become incredibly divisive um, and is just the absolute worst kind of person for a crisis. And we've had back to back because it's all about him as a narcissist, not about the team. I've, I've mentioned that many times before. Any, any book on leadership you ever want to read, the worst kind of leaders 
are always those that are self-absorbed because they never do what's right for us. They always do what's right for them. And this one in particular is not only self-absorbed to a level that I don't know I've ever if I've ever seen before, but there is this borderline level of intelligence combined with outrageous immaturity. Now, with all of that understood, did you see the video of this Minneapolis mayor, Jacob Fry? Oh, yeah. At a rally over the weekend in front of... It was sad. It was sad. it 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 was worse than sad. It was scary because this was perhaps a guy that is reflective of future leaders to come where they're submissive. I mean, now, he ultimately did say in front of that large gathering in a very weak voice. By the way, he looks like he's in eighth grade. Yes, he does. Um, it's amazing that he got elected mayor. It's incredible that he got he elected mayor. Be, he must have done it behind a curtain. Like <laughs> he, the, he really looks incredibly young. Not just like, you know, I don't even know how old Jacob Fry is. I'm actually going to look that up. I'm, I'm going to guess that Jacob Fry is 40. You think he's that old? Yeah, I think so. He's 38 years old. And he's from this area, born in Oakton, Virginia. He looks like a pizza delivery guy. He went to Oakton High School in Vienna, Virginia, and went to William and Mary after that. He was a distance runner on the track and field team uh, at William and Mary. How about that? He won the 2002 Colonial Athletic Association 5,000-meter title in track. Who knew? Well, he certainly, he certainly was looking to run someplace in front of that mob. So Jacob Fry, the mayor of Minneapolis, and let's give you a brief history lesson here because it was just about a week and a half ago during the riots in Minneapolis following the murder of George Floyd that he... Um, demanded that an actual police precinct with police in the precinct leave the precinct quickly as the demonstrators were coming through with torches. I still, out of everything that's happened in these last couple weeks, that is the most shocking to me. Now, the video of George Floyd being killed is the obvious most shocking. And by the way, I have to emphasize that clearly so somebody doesn't think that I'm not giving it its proper due, which I am. I understand what happened that particular late afternoon Memorial Day uh, 2020. I've seen the video. I know what the cop's history is. I know what the other three cops did. By the way, did you hear about one of the cops? He had only been on the job for a couple of days. Um, That's a hell of an introductory week. Anyway, back to what happened on Saturday. He was at a rally, and it was a defund the police rally, which, by the way, just already has taken on so many different definitions. I can't keep up with all of what defund the police means. You know, anywhere from, no, 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 that's not what we mean at all. It, it has nothing to do with that. It's actually a recipe for chocolate chip cookies to, uh, to the abolishment of police altogether and the insertion of social workers to enforce laws. It's somewhere in between. I understand there. Uh, I understand that, but there's been a lot of conversation and a lot of different definitions uh, about what defund the police means. But anyway, he was at one of these rallies on Saturday and they demanded that he agree with them not about defunding the police, but about getting rid of the police altogether. And he had the mask on, Tommy, and it was one of the most pathetic scenes I've ever seen. It really was pathetic. Now, ultimately, he did reject the notion of abolishing the police. He said it, you could barely hear it, you know, as he was taking his mask off his face and he was speaking in the lowest possible hush tones. And then the, and then the mob basically turned on him. He didn't get hurt um, walking out of there. It was a... It was a peaceful group for the most part, but he was ripped verbally on his way out. Yeah. Kevin, he was overmatched. A lot of people would have been For the job or for the moment? For the moment. And, f- and for it, maybe it, for it, the it, job, it, too. Well, for, for the, the job of, of, the, of, that, of those four or five days, yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, it, it'd be hard you have to find a special mayor to be able to deal with that. Now, that said, 
if there was ever a police department that needed dismantling, it was. It seems to be Minneapolis. I mean, where where they've got a police union that, and the police unions are a big problem with this. That has, is out of control when it comes to its culture. And maybe he knew something about that precinct in particular, where uh, maybe there were a bunch of bad cops there. I'm just giving them the benefit of the doubt. That was a bad police department. Well, I mean, you know? Derek Chauvin had 18 complaints against him. Now, I, I, I can't put that in proper perspective because I don't know what the average number of complaints against a police officer is. I have heard that basically every police officer has, you know, a number of complaints against them for something. Um, I don't know if 18 is a lot. It seems like a lot to me. But to your point, why was that cop still working if he had all of those complaints? Why was that cop, if he had all those complaints, Working in a job that 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 was beyond sort of parking meter checks, you know, where he was actually I dealing. Agree. So I, I'm I'm not going to discount the possibility that that person shouldn't have been on the job in the first place, and that there needs to be police reform. I, I think there there's been police reform. There's been across the country a lot of police reform over the years, and not 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 the it, kind uh, of, it, dep- not, it depends on what you're talking about. I mean, the Justice Department had to be called into Spokane and Baltimore to oversee the police departments there. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, and there hasn't, again, there hasn't been the kind of police reform that uh, calls to accountability. That that culture has not been changed. Right. Um, and I- that and that and that's what needs to be changed. Now that said, to fund the police. Does anyone know if it was a member of the Republican National Committee that came up with that slogan? <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, re- defund the police. The Republicans are sitting, yeah, there we go. Look at, they're, do- they're doing the job for us. Yeah. You know, words matter. Say what you mean. If you don't mean get rid of, pay- of paying police, then say it. Don't come up with a phrase like defund the police and expect people to decipher what you mean. Um, Ridiculous. Well, the, the, the people have had um, and, and been efforting to decipher what it means, and there are lots of different definitions of what it means. That's part of the problem, too. If you're going to come up with, um, with, with a movement on an issue, not only get the slogan right, but let's all define it and be on the same page in terms of what it, uh, what it means, because that's definitely not occurring. I, I, I've, I've seen so many interviews with various people talking about defund the police, and again, it's, it, it, it's al- it almost ranges from, oh, no, 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 it has nothing to do with the police. It's a recipe for um, a chicken cacciatore. Uh, to uh, it means get rid of all the police. We don't need police in this country. We don't need law enforcement. We can use social workers to enforce the laws. We can use social services to, to enforce the laws. Look, I'm not an expert in this area, and that wasn't necessarily the point of bringing up Jacob Fry. Um, my, in, my instinct is to believe that we need police officers in this country, good police officers. That's my instinct. I think it's a logical one, and I bet it's the prevailing opinion of America, even though you probably don't get that sense here over the last week if you're just on social media or you're just you know, on especially more liberal uh, television stations or, or reading uh, liberal news per- newspapers. I think the majority of people would prefer the police, black and white. That's my, that's my view. I have no idea if I'm wrong or not. I brought it up. I brought up Jacob Fry for this reason. In, in times of crisis, in times of instability, um, and by the way, I say that understanding that most of the protests over the last week in particular have been pri- mostly peaceful, and they've been very nice. They're continuing today, I understand. I don't know, I, I don't know how long this will go on. It, it certainly seems like it's not going to stop anytime soon. Um, and by the way, I've been actually very um, inspired would be the wrong word, but impressed by a lot of the young people of all colors and religions, um, with being involved and being active, you know, even if, if they're not completely informed through and through on all of 
these different things. But I go back to Jacob Fry. This was going to be my point. In these situations, perceived weakness is a problem. And he's perceived to be incredibly weak, not because of his physical appearance, but because of his actions over the last two weeks. And it's that kind of submissiveness, Tommy, when you project weakness, people take advantage of that in any aspect of life. And that guy has projected weakness at the most incredible levels. And a lot of our leaders have you know, here recently. It's not just people who are afraid to write or say what they want to say. It's our elected leaders in many cases that are, that are kowtowing to the mob right now. Look, it, it, it's a fine line. I mean, you know, I mean, just because the majority may not, you know, speak to a certain issue doesn't mean the majority is right. That's I mean, true. You know, I mean, sometimes you have to speak up for the people who, who, who don't have the voices in power, the minorities that, who don't have a voice in power. But I agree with you about this guy. That was, that was a terrible look. I mean, you know, seeing him. And you're, he seemed, like he literally did, seem like a guy showing up at your door with three pizzas and being told you weren't going to pay for them. <laughs> right. Uh, I don't have any money. Well, but you have to yeah. pay because, my, bo- because no, my boss well, is going to get really upset if I come yeah. back without the money. Yeah. Get the hell out of here, Shorty. Get out of here. Yeah. I mean, I mean that was that, that was that was pretty bad. And, you know, here's what David Simon, who's a good friend of mine, right. who knows something about policing, the wire, spent uh, wrote the book called Homicide, uh, and then the TV show called The Wire. Uh, we could really get revolutionary and change policy by ending the drug war and defunding mass incarceration. He means related to the drug war. And directing police agencies to focus on real crime. But that would require us to recognize that, uh, police departments were long tasked by us with a bad policy. They have spent so many millions of dollars, billions of dollars, and so much time and effort in, in measuring their success and failure on, on drug arrests and drug convictions. And I'm not talking about high-level drug dealers. I'm talking about street-level stuff. And it had totally warped our police departments in focusing on this. And like he said, I agree with him, taking resources away from dealing with real crime. I mean, I, I think he's got a real good point here. All right, quick word about Hydrant. Top performers in business and sports often attribute their success to their morning routine, whether it's waking up early like we do or setting their goals for the day, exercise or meditation, but not everybody's got the time to do it all. With Hydrant, you can jumpstart your mornings. Did you know that 75% of us are walking around everyday life chronically dehydrated? We're suffering needlessly from frequent headaches, energy slumps, and poor focus. It doesn't have to be that way. You want to kick that coffee habit, but you're worried about your energy levels to avoid the morning sluggishness and that midday slump, you need to make sure you're hydrated. Hydrant creates flavored electrolyte packets that you mix directly into your water to make hydrating your body easy and delicious. Each rapid hydration mix has the four essential electrolytes your body needs. Sodium, potassium, magnesium, and zinc help you hydrate quickly and stay hydrated all day long. Hydrant's backed by research. The formula was developed by Oxford scientists to provide perfectly balanced, efficient hydration. There's no synthetic colors, no artificial sweeteners. The formula is vegan, and you can choose between three different flavors or a variety pack. Hydrant starts at just a buck a packet for a 30-day supply. You can save even more with a monthly subscription. And for 25% off your first order, go to drinkhydrant.com slash Sheehan. That's S-H-E-E-H-A-N. That's drinkhydrant.com slash Sheehan for 25% off your first order. Drinkhydrant.com. Hey, Kevin, we got some sports news, local sports news breaking. What? The new D.C. Sports Hall of Fame class that's being inducted into the D.C. Sports Hall of Fame. I'll just give you a heads up. 
uh, get ready. You're not on the list. Well, that's a big that's a big omission. How did that happen? I know that. I, I agree with you. But you know, is this who the is? naming of the next class? Yes. Okay. Ken Beatrice. Ken Beatrice is on the list. Oh, good. Good for him. That's yes. awesome. Yes. Ken Beatrice, Herman Boone, uh, right? Uh, uh, Austin Carr, Gary Clark, Bob Dwyer. Who's Bob Dwyer? Bob Dwyer was the head coach of the greatest high school basketball team that many think in in high school basketball history, the great Carroll teams of the late 50s, the one that John Thompson played on, those teams. Uh, Jill Ellis, who's she? Who? Jill Ellis? I have no idea. Okay, Will Jones, I know who he is. Of course, legendary coach at UDC, was one of Lefty's early uh, assistants, basketball legend. Uh, John Lucas. John Lucas into the D.C. Sports Hall of Fame, obviously because of his days at Maryland. I mean, he did. at Maryland. He played for the Bullets, too, but that would be for his days at Maryland. Yeah, and also the Nats and the Mystics teams will be noted as teams of distinction. Uh, Oh, they're putting in, you're saying they're putting in the whole teams? Yes, under teams of distinction. Well, they just won championships, I would assume. I would assume that the Caps are already in it then. I would assume so, too. All right, so... But I don't, I don't know. Ken Beatrice, you mentioned. Ken Beatrice, yes. m- many of our listeners know who Ken Beatrice was. Ken Beatrice was the pioneer in this city, anyway, of sports talk radio. He was not on a sports talk radio station. He was on WMAL radio for years where he hosted a three-hour nightly sports talk show. You know, fall three two WMAL is the number. Call me. And <laughs> Ken Beatrice was for some of us, you know, at a young age, a legend. Tommy, I went into I went up to Jennifer Street with friends and asked to meet him and he brought us into his office and every other word was an F bomb. And he's smoking, <laughs> he's a chain smoker. And I got to, you know, I, I got to know him a little bit. You know, when I got into this business very much at the, you know, at the end of his career, he, he, he did a show on WTEM on 980 for several years um, when there was finally a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week sports talk station. But Ken Beatrice was um, really uh, unique um, and very, very good at what he did. He was a very good broadcaster. You said um, uh, Herman Boone? Said, yes. Well, I mean... You know, what? one of the great movies, obviously, Remember the Titans, and uh, right. Herman Boone was uh, the black head coach at T.C. Williams, um, we, who was played by Denzel Washington in that movie, which was such a good movie. Um, who else? Was Austin there Carr. Austin Carr. One of the great high school players in the history of this city. Yeah. Played at Mackin. I think I could be wrong about this. I think Austin Carr still holds... The single-game NCAA tournament scoring record. He scored, I think, 60-something points. 68. I think it was 68 points. Was it 68? I didn't think it was that many. Um, I think it was. But he scored 60-something in an NCAA tournament game uh, for Notre Dame. Went to Notre Dame. Yeah, Austin Carr went from here to Notre Dame. And then who's the next one? Uh, Gary Clark, the only red kid on the list. I mean, how many Redskins are in the D.C. Sports Hall of Fame? I don't know. I'm sure probably quite a few. Yeah. Um, you know, the, basically what they've got is they've got this banner that hangs at, at Nats Park. When you walk into the center field entrance, and you, if you turn right to walk down the third base side, you can see this giant banner hanging from, I think, one of the parking garages that has everyone listed on the uh, D.C. Sports Hall of Fame. It's pretty cool. I yeah. I know a couple of years ago, somebody who's on the committee, on the Hall of Fame Selection Committee, we had on the show, I thought it was you and me, um, to talk about it. It may have been Mark well, Tui. might have been Mark Tui who we had on. I know Andy Ockerhouse. Uh, yeah, Andy o, Andy o was on it. Um, and I know Charlie Brotman is on it. He should be. Yeah. So I, I don't know who else is on. on why, the why aren't you? Why aren't the two of us on that committee? I don't know. 
<laughs> I don't know. By the, way, we're misunderstood. by the way, I we are misunderstood. By the way, I don't want to be on the committee. I don't want to. I don't want to commit my time to anything so trivial. Um, you know. You know. Listen, I told you. Look, I still stick by my idea. You know, we, you and I create the DC Sports Talk Hall of Fame, and then we just induct each other. <laughs> we just induct and we each just other. Give each other and we give each other awards. And when I induct you, you'll say, oh, my God, that's such an honor. That was really <laughs> – I, I, I didn't expect it. And then you'll induct you'll, – you'll nominate me and induct me, and I'll say, oh, my God, this is such a surprise. I am and, and so we'll, thrilled to be a part of yes. this great group of two, Tom Lavero and yes. Kevin Sheehan. And we'll induct other people if they pay uh, us. But after we induct each other. Yes. <laughs> if they pay us. If they pay us. Actually yes. – Ken Beatrice, really and truly, in terms of a sports talk Hall of Fame, that conversation starts and ends with Ken Beatrice. It does. Warner Wolf, not Warner Wolf. Uh, Warner Wolf did some talk radio, but Warner Wolf was known for being, know. you know, a t- the, the television sports director and anchor at Channel Nine before he went to New York. You know, he did some he did some t- uh, talk radio. You know. Uh, so did, you know, Al Koken and so did Bernie Smilovitz and so did, um, oh God, the, the, the baseball expert, Tommy, you know, um, why am I blanking on his name? Phil Wood. Phil Wood. Phil was great with Bernie Smilovitz doing a talk show at the same time Ken Beatrice was doing one. This was in the seventies into the early eighties. Um, but Ken was the first in this town and he became a big time personality because he really was the only one for a long period of time, and he hosted the Redskins post-game show, which um, was different when Ken started to host it. The, the post-game show used to, many, many years ago, consist of Chris Hamburger's, you know, uh, Oarsman Chevy post-game interview with like a player or two from the locker room, and that was the post-game show. But when Ken Beatrice came along, Ken Beatrice would do a you know, point-by-point post-game analysis where he would get, you know, he would share his opinion with you. And sometimes it wasn't overly positive about the home team on the home team network, which made it unique back then, you know, where you got into truly, you know, a an objective analysis of how the Redskins played and the opponent and how the game went. And we've all been doing that now for years, but he was the first one really – to do that uh, in this town. Um, you know, a- after him, you know, at Sports Talk Radio, it would be it would be the junkies and it would be maybe Andy. I mean, Andy was on the air. Andy was on the air when 980 launched. He was the director, uh, the sports director. He hosted multiple shows. And but th- that would be the th- that would be it. The junkies, because yeah. of an incredibly successful run over a long period of time, two you know two decades plus, right, Tommy? Am I right about that? Yeah, absolutely. And Andy's still on the air. And Andy's still on the air. Yeah. Yes, he is. Um, did you know that he got a, that he got into a, uh, got hit by a car and a bike about two months ago, three months ago? Did you? Yeah. Know? He's yeah, fine. I knew that. He's fine. Of course he's fine, because <laughs> he's, he's going to live to be 100. He's indestructible. Yes. Oh, God. Never misses a day of work. He's going to live to be 100. Yeah, he's he has loved that bike over the years, hasn't he? Um, Speaking of bikes, was that guy a buddy of yours? Who? This Brennan guy. No. Public enemy number no, no, one. No, 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 no. I don't know who he is. Not a friend of yours? <laughs> Why would you think he'd be a friend of mine? Because because it was on the trail, which by the way, it was on yes. the it was on the trail, which is th- where it happened was is maybe a mile from my house. That's it. Okay. But you don't know, man. No, no. I don't know. Okay. Um he's he he was an old much older dude, wasn't he? he wasn't was he like 60. in his sixties? He was sixty. How old are you? A much older dude. Oh, I th- well, I thought I thought I actually thought for whatever reason he was like in his mid sixties. By the way, Tommy, one thing's for sure: if that if I had been there and that had been my child, this dude the the, the least of his worries would have been getting caught and getting arrested. Oh yeah, 
me too. I mean, now the, the see, but that but here's the thing with me. I noticed this me because <laughs> I had I yelled at somebody a couple of weeks ago when I was walking uh, oh, about something. I don't God. know. And you know, I forget. I'm 66 years old. I mean, I look in that mirror still sometimes. And I'm still the 30-year-old guy who, when he has to, can kick somebody's ass. It's the fight in the dog, I don't brother. Look at, I don't look in that mirror and see the 66-year-old <laughs> guy who, who people would say, don't beat up an old man. I would just say, you know what, sir? Honestly, you're going to have to turn around, and, and I, I, I worry about you. I, you, you're, you seem fired <laughs> up. You seem to have some real fight in that dog. But you're you're an elderly uh, fella here. This, this person's much younger and much more fit. See, I don't see that guy. It's <laughs> yeah. dangerous, I know. All right, quick word about Roman, and then we'll get to the Breeze um, apology, the Goodell statement from over the weekend, and give you our thoughts on that to finish up the show. If you were to guess on average how many days people in the U.S. have to wait to see a doctor, what would you say? A week maybe? Actually, on average, people have to wait around 29 days to see a doctor in major U.S. cities. Basically a month. If you're dealing with a condition like erectile dysfunction, you want treatment ASAP. That's why our friends at Roman have spent years building a digital platform that can connect you with a doctor licensed in your state, all from the comfort of your home. Roman makes it convenient to get the treatment you need on your schedule. Just grab your phone or computer, complete a free online visit, and you'll hear back from a U.S. licensed physician within 24 hours. And if the doctor decides that treatment is right for you, Roman's Pharmacy can ship your medication to you with free two-day shipping. You'll also get free unlimited follow-ups with your doctor anytime you've got questions or want to adjust your treatment plan. With Roman, there are no commitments and you can cancel anytime. So if you're struggling with ED, go to GetRoman.com and use my promo code SHEAN for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. That's GetRoman.com, promo code SHEAN, S-H-E-E-H-A-N, for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. All right, let's get to the Roger Goodell um, statement from over the weekend. I think at, at this point, everybody knows that Roger Goodell came out with a very strong statement on behalf of, of the league. We think it's on behalf of the league. Um, Roger Goodell uh, videotaped himself delivering a message where he said, we, the National Football League, condemn racism and, syst- and systematic oppression of black people. We, the National Football League, admit we were wrong for not listening to NFL players earlier and encourage all to speak and peacefully protest. Um, we at the National Football League believe black lives matter. I personally protest with you and want to be a part of the much-needed change in this country. Without black players, there would be no National Football League, and the protests around the country are emblematic of the centuries of silence, inequality, and oppression of black players, coaches, fans, and staff. We are listening. I am listening, and I will be reaching out to players who have raised their voices and others on how we can improve and go forward for a better and more united NFL family, closed quote. That was from the commissioner over the weekend. I thought that there was two obvious takeaways from this. Number one is kneeling for the anthem is not only going to be allowed, um, it's going to be encouraged as a form of protest. Um, The thing that uh, Colin Kaepernick was protesting, which is obviously racial injustice, specifically um, the treatment of African-Americans by law enforcement uh, in this country. Um, the second takeaway for me is it's something I'm not so sure about necessarily, but I think they've reopened that door for a Kaepernick return. What did you make of Goodell's statement over the weekend? Uh, well, I, I mean, the way it sounds, I'm not sure you'll be able to get in an NFL game if you're not kneeling at this point. Uh, I don't even know if they're going to have spectators. Yes. I would think that you're going to see a lot of kneeling. <laughs> Are you going to have to kneel and beg for forgiveness yes. to get in? I, I, I think you may have to kneel just to get in the game right now. Oh, Look, boy. What, here's, the, here's the byproduct of this that's going to be interesting. Uh, you know, everybody may be on board the first week. We'll, conti- we'll continue throughout the season. And what about players who don't want to kneel? 
They don't have to kneel. Well, again, but we've heard a theme here. Yes, we have. A theme from people that said, if you're not with me, then you're against me. Yeah, but see, those people, not, but Tommy. Not, if you're not kneeling with me, and I've seen this from players, if silence, it it's, it's won't be tolerated. Tommy, here. So not only will they expect you to kneel, but you'll be expected to speak out. Tommy, because this silence won't be tolerated. This is this this is the problem: is that those that preach tolerance the most have been intolerant to opposite opinion. And in this particular situation, a player, just using this as an example, a player who chose not to kneel um, wouldn't be choosing not to kneel because they're for police brutality against African Americans. Again, this goes back to what I told you last week. I have the ability, and most people I know have the ability, to be emotionally involved, emotionally outraged, emotionally upset about more than one issue at a time. That's why I was outraged by what happened with George Floyd. I continue to be outraged by any sort of bad cops continuing to be uh, allowed in, in, in police and in law enforcement. And at the same time, I was also unnerved by the unrest. Um, but apparently you weren't really allowed to be unnerved by the unrest, at least according to some, because if you were, that meant you were part of the problem. The person that doesn't kneel in an NFL game can say, I am all for your issues. I am 100% on board. And by the way, let me make a list of the things that I've been doing to participate actively in trying to end systemic racism in this particular area of life or this particular area of life. However, however, I don't approve of the method. I think that this is an important moment. It's something that is important to me to be respectful to the flag. I understand why you're, uh, you're kneeling, and I know, and this is something Drew Brees apparently didn't know, which is still mind-boggling, I know why you're doing it, and I know it has nothing to do with you being disrespectful to military or veterans or the flag. But I'm going to stand. That's my position, and I can be. And and these things are mutually exclusive of one another. I hope by the so time you know what I Kevin? hope I, yes Kevin? what Kevin, you're not listening. You haven't been listening <laughs> to the messages that are out yeah. there. Well, that's I'm that's serious. going to change. That, There's going to be pushback the other way, Tommy. That's the position that won't be allowed, of, of particularly of the NFL. Players are going to players are going to call each other out. Mm-hmm. And it could get really ugly, really ugly. Did I mean, you... because again, silence is not tolerated. Mm-hmm. If well, you're silent, the you're pr- complicit. Here's the the problem with the approach is it's a bullying approach. Now, some that are yes, listening would completely disagree with that, and, and or or say that's too bad that it makes you uncomfortable. It's not that it makes you uncomfortable. Eventually, it's going to get pushed back on. Because people, again, believe in most of what everything... Normal people, compassionate people, decent people, believe in most of what everybody's protesting. What they don't want is in the, in, in the various areas like defund the police or whatever that means. Or you're not allowed to feel unnerved by the unrest. There is, there is disagreement. And again, to your point... Uh, silence will not do for some. But back to the original point, which is the anthem and players in a locker room that decide to stand versus kneel with their teammates. I hope by the time we get there, there is more tolerance of an alternative opinion. Not let a- me stop you. Right, let me stop you right now. By the time we get there, that's September and October. You know what kind of virus is going to be going through the country then? The presidential election. In what universe do you think things are going to be toned down? (laughs) Things are going to be worse. It will be worse in September and October than it is right now. Intolerance will be higher on both sides. I don't know how I'd feel personally if I were a player in that locker room, but there are going to be some players, regardless of, of... whether or not they totally support the reason that their teammates are kneeling, that are going to say, I still feel um, it's important to stand for the national anthem. 
I, I think that they're going to be players that do that. And I, I, I would hope that we're at a point, and you may be right, maybe it'll still be so volatile and so that you know it'll, any sort of um, alternative uh, opinion will be shut down immediately. Um, but we'll see. I, again, Tommy, my, my sense of it is is that the people that have been sitting back um, in at least partial disagreement with some of these things or without you know having enough information to have a definitive opinion, I think a lot of those people don't like getting bullied at all. Interesting times. Interesting Not times. Here's interesting the, times. De- depressing times. Here's what I wanted to mention to you as it relates to the anthem. I had um, Andrew Brandt on the show this morning on the radio show. Did you know that the NFL currently doesn't have an actual policy on the anthem? Like, you can kneel. You're allowed to kneel. Now, they've encouraged players to stand, but there's nothing prohibiting a player from kneeling. Eric Reed continued to kneel last year during games. I know. Uh, Kenny Stills, who was uh, in Houston last year, continued to kneel during the anthem. Those players weren't fined. They weren't punished for that. It's interesting because I didn't know that. I thought that there was essentially a policy in place that prohibited those that players from doing it, and even though there were a few players that were doing it, it was deterring everybody else from doing it. Now, obviously, there are certain owners like Jerry Jones who have strongly encouraged his players to be as one and to stand for the anthem and to recognize you know, that many of their customers want them to stand as well, and it's good for business which, by the way, it probably is in a lot of cities. But I, that, that was number one. Number two, you know, here's the other sort of practical part of this. If there are no spectators in the crowd, they're not going to play the anthem, although they may have to now. They may have to. That's the ironic thing. They should have done away. This is only <laughs> something that started about 15, 20 years ago, and they probably should have done away with it a couple of years ago when they had the opportunity. Now, if they if they if they got rid of it now, it would look like they're trying to hold back. No them. doubt. Yep, yeah. they can't do it now. And even three yeah. years ago, I remember saying, "Just get rid of the anthem." I mean, most people that watch a football game don't aren't exposed to the national anthem and whether or not players are kneeling or standing. No, but, I but mean, four years ago, it would have been Donald Trump who objected to getting rid of the anthem. This time, it would be the protest. Yes. <laughs> yes. It would be everybody. <laughs> how, how ironic is that? Right. Yeah. Just three years later, it's actually the people that would have been fine with just getting rid of it, although it would have been perceived to be a little bit cowardly and as a cop-out back then, too. Now uh, it would be um, th- 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 they can't afford to, to not play the anthem, even if it's in front of an empty stadium with just players on the sideline. In fact, you watch, there'll be a lot of players that will demand that the television networks carry it, even though they haven't for years. The only time you see the anthem is the Super Bowl and maybe the championship games and maybe that you know kickoff game on Thursday night in September. That's it. 95% of the people that watch a football game are watching it from home and they never see the anthem. And and I would suggest to you that 20%, maybe more, of the people that go to the games never see the anthem because they're still coming into the stadium or they're at the concession yeah. stand. All right, you got anything else? I got nothing else, boss. We, we, we accomplished a lot today. We, we have a lot out there for people to, to listen to and, and maybe even uh, disagree with um, a little bit. Probably a lot. All right, we're done for the day. Uh, listen to me on the Team 980, 6 to 9 a.m. in the mornings. You can download the Team 980 app. Um, you can listen on the Team980.com if you're home and not in your car. Uh, and as I've said before, uh, I urge you, uh, as it relates to this podcast, to rate us and review us if you get a chance to do that on Apple Podcasts. All right, Tommy, I'll talk to you on Thursday. All right, boss. I'll see you.